struggling to get past your past. Again, today the barrier that unconsciously leads us to believe, and we don't really think about this, but if we don't get past our past, um, we arrive through just kind of a series of events because we're human. We arrive at a place where we actually believe that God can't really love us. And that's a horrible place to be. The good news is the key that frees you is closer than you realize. Uh, tell me, I would tell you a very short story. This is uh, me in about, um, I was five years old, uh, kindergarten. Um, my mom is watching this apparently. Um, I don't know if she remembers this. But I, there were some toys on the ground. They had these like carpets. And I remember very clearly they had little uh, uh, pine trees and little bushes and little things that you put on. And I was just infatuated with a pine tree. I have no idea why. I just thought I got to have me a pine tree. I, I got to have one. I got to have the pine tree. So I put it into my pocket and I went home. Now, I wasn't a real bright thief, so I didn't empty out my pockets. I didn't hide anything. You know, I just tossed the clothes on the floor. Mom found the tree. Where'd you get this? But I have no idea where that came from, Mom. Isn't that the craziest thing? Well, Mom saw through me. Quickly figured out, well, where has Jerry been? He's been here, and he's been at school. So I, I don't remember this part, but I, I, I feel like I have a vague memory of it. Um, the, the next morning, they made me take that little plastic tree again why did I want that tree um, back to the teacher and say hey I stole this and, and that was kind of the end of it now mom and dad could have shamed me they really could have laid it on me thick but they they uh, the, as best I can recollect they you know like Dan said Jerry you're guilty you did this you need to make it right and then you won't be guilty anymore just and and it and it, and it was that that was it that was that was it I I was still free I I didn't get crushed um kind of dealt with it, right? Um, I wish I could say that Jesus broke the chains and I never felt shame again, but that's not true. Uh, three words, <laughs> junior high boy, <laughs> okay? So guilt and shame remained with me through those dark, dark years. Um, and for years, they, they were kind of two sides of the same coin. And, and, and luckily, I, I've been able to deal with those years. I, I, I know Christ is my personal savior. That stuff doesn't hold me back anymore. But I know for a fact that a lot of people, the things that they did in their past, the things that you did in your past, they're like anchors, right? And they're hooked to your belt, and, and, and you, you just can't move forward. You can't. How do, how do you get rid of this anchor that's slowing you down, that's stopping you from experiencing life, the, the abundant life that Christ has for you? Um, shame. If it's not dealt with, over time, we begin to believe the lie um, that, that you are not that you do bad, but that you are bad. And this is where you kind of, what one writer says, you enter the prison of shame. Maybe some of you have been in the prison of shame and you've gotten out and maybe some of you, like you look around and you're saying, Pastor Jerry, that's where I live. I live in the, in the prison of shame. Um, again, this morning, I'm going to give you the key to get out of that prison of shame. You have the key. <laughs> That's the amazing part. Nobody else, you have the key to break out of this prison of shame. Now, now when we're in the prison of shame, everything becomes really very painful, very, very personal, right? Everything begins to die. Relationships die. Your faith dies. Your self-worth dies. Everything dies when you're in a prison of shame. Why? Does everything die? What, what, is, what is the big deal? In the prison of shame, love dies. Above all else, love dies. Um, love becomes impossible because we can't see past our own pain. Therefore, we can't feel really anybody else's pain. I mean, our pain is so great that 
Everybody else is, it, it, they're just not out there. It doesn't exist. Um, our, our, our own is so overwhelming, so overwhelming. And so we live a life of, of, in fear of, of, of upsetting somebody, right? Um, of taking up too much space on the earth. I mean, literally, we, we, we start um, hating ourselves because other people, they live their lives and, and we feel like we're infringing in their lives. Um, to make matters worse, we, we, we develop these false masks, we, these false selves, right, that kind of hide who we know the real person is, and we know nobody wants to see that real person, so we, we wear masks, which means that relationships are no longer possible because relationships only happen when you take off your masks. So again, love is off the table because we're so afraid of upsetting people. Relationships are off the table. Spiritual development dies, again, because we, we can't be honest with God. And if we can't be honest with our own Savior, I don't think progress is possible. So how does one go from doing bad to being bad? I want to look at three biblical categories of guilt and shame this morning. Dan has alluded to a couple of them. The very first one is real guilt. Right? You did it. <laughs> you know you did it. Mom and dad know you did it. Your brother and sister know you did it. And yet you're still denying it. So stop it. Just stop it. You did it. Just admit that you did it. Right? You're guilty, which is always, by the way, the biblical definition of guilt. Right? We're going to come to a second definition, which is not biblical at all. But this one is biblical. This is, a, this is what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you admit it, there's a solution offered right in this very same verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justly are, are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And again, as we're going to see in a moment, it's at this point in the, in the, in the, the, the pattern, the, the, the developing pattern of shame that we have to deal with the guilt. And if we don't deal with the guilt at this stage, then you jump right into that third stage. You move right past the second stage, and we're going to get to those stages in a moment. Um, but then you enter the, the prison of shame. Um, the guilt has to be dealt with right here at this point. And if not, the real state of guilt will become a more crippling far more crippling self-condemnation for the offense that was never dealt with. And again, then you automatically jump to the third level. But first, the second level, the second category of guilt. And this is the one that's not biblical. Um, I'm going to say this very, 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 very carefully. We have a category of human beings who this generally gets attributed to. But since this person is watching from home... Can we just say moms, right? Okay, and this is not all moms, but this is, this is, this is people... Okay, I'll just, I'll just go to it. Second level is false guilt, right? Have you ever been guilted by mom? Ever been guilted? Let's, let's leave mom alone now for a moment. Have you ever been guilted by supposedly a good friend, right? They want you to do something. You don't want to do it. You have a great reason for doing it. And then they begin to make you feel bad for a very, very wise decision that you made. And you begin to doubt yourself. And you begin to go, well, well maybe I'm not a good Christian. Well, maybe I'm not a good person. I should be helping them. But, but for a good reason, you can't. And you begin, and, and they begin, and, and, and it just grows on you in this, this, this false guilt, right? The feeling of feeling guilty. You're not guilty of anything, but you have this feeling 
of feeling guilty. And it's a horrible, horrible thing, right? We feel like we hurt somebody when we didn't. We've consumed somebody's time, right? We, we say no because we don't want our inadequacies to let them down. Oh, I'm not good at that, so I'm not possibly going to help you. I'll just mess everything up. Don't call on me. And we just, we just slowly shrink back from life. And this is where we get into deeper trouble at this point. We start gauging our spiritual condition based on our conscience. I know somebody told you that, maybe some point that the Holy Spirit works through our conscience. Now, I'm not going to deny that. Yes, he does work through our, our conscience. But you need to understand your conscience is not God. Right? We, we tend to deify our conscience like somehow anything that we feel, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. But that is, that is horribly wrong. Again, yes, sometimes he speaks through our conscience. But the fact of the matter is some of us have an incredibly immature conscience. And we are feeling guilty about things that we do not have to be guilty about. Okay, and that's on one end of the spectrum. spectrum. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I don't know, maybe you know somebody who has a seared conscience. Right? It, something has happened to them where they just don't feel anymore. So I wouldn't count on that conscience. So you can have an immature one, and you can have kind of a a world-destroyed conscience. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit sometimes speaks through our our, our conscience. But again, because our conscience is not the Holy Spirit, be careful. Compare what you're feeling with Scripture. Because sometimes you will feel unloved, and you turn to Scripture, and you find out, lo and behold, wow, I am loved. Don't let your conscience tell you a lie because not only does the holy spirit use your conscience but satan has access to it too right and he's kind of breathing these lies whispering these lies in one ear and and unless you're spending time with god and in his word and then with fellow followers of jesus christ this voice over here is going to get quieter and quieter and 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 the evil one his voice is going to get louder and louder and you're going to be, begin to believe what he's saying and then we have that false guilt Right, that self-condemnation for what we believe we did, but we, in fact, we didn't. Again, if left unchecked, even false guilt, real guilt and false guilt, can land you at the third level, um, and this is the prison of shame. Self-condemnation for who we are, not for what we did, but when you enter this third level, again, it becomes very, very personal. It's not something you did. It's something you are. Shame goes a giant leap past guilt, Shame is where we know we lost the respect of a loved one, right? Where we feel they despise us because of something we did. This is where the hero in the film who's basically a good person, but they made a bunch of really, really bad choices, they cry out, but that's not who I am, right? Maybe you've done that. You've done something really shameful. And you look around and, and, and you're telling yourself as loudly as you're telling everybody around you, that's not who I am. That was a bad decision. That was a, a, a lapse in judgment. That's not who I am. In real life, this is where you cross over from feeling guilty because you yelled at your kids to feeling shame for being a bad parent. Right? Did you, you notice that where you cross over, you, you kind of feel bad, you yelled at them because you lost your temper, you probably shouldn't yell at them, and after about the 50th time, you start thinking, I'm just a lousy parent, and, and, and you give up. And then you, then you go backwards, because why bother trying anymore? So here's what happens. 
Shame usually follows the exact same pattern. And, and maybe as I explain, as I walk through these steps, you'll recognize where you are right now and how to quickly get that U-turn and get out of this, this prison of shame. The first thing that happens is we experience a painful event. Right? We, all, we all have these painful events, and it can be any number of situations. It can be, uh, again, if, if you're an adult, you know, a poor financial decision, poor relational decisions, maybe secret addictions, um, sexual abuse. This is, not even, this is something that you didn't do, but somebody did to you, and that's a very real part of all this. And then over time, it keeps happening. It keeps happening. You keep succumbing to the temptation and you seek forgiveness, and you seek forgiveness, and you're feeling the forgiveness, but pretty soon you're not feeling it anymore. You're thinking, how many times is God going to forgive me? Right? How, how many times am I going to... How many times? And then eventually the next step is you begin to believe the lie that our pain and our failure is who we are and not what we did. And again, it becomes part of our personhood. Internal self-condemnation quickly makes us unworthy, right? And the, and the rest is a bygone conclusion, just waiting to happen. Forgiveness is undeserved and recovery is possible, impossible, right? How many times will God forgive me? So forgiveness becomes, you know, off the table. Um, and without forgiveness, we can't recover. Recovery becomes impossible. We struggle and we just stop following Jesus. Or and this is what I see probably more often, is we continue to kind of follow Jesus. We kind of go through the motions, and yet we become more and more empty on the inside. And again, I, I, it, it's so real. I've seen it in myself. As we become empty on the inside, we become very, very hyperactive in outward appearances. And we start trying to point to those to somehow justify ourselves when we know something's happened inside, something, something's died. Something's died inside. All right, so everybody's depressed now. Love church, right? Woo-hoo! Went to church this morning, and now I want to go to bed forever, right? Okay, so let's talk possible recovery, right? We, we just now kind of left off on, on, on uh, recovery impossible. Let's talk about recovery possible, right? Um. Let me just, just, first step is going to be difficult. You need to be aware of that. The first step of any journey is, is, is by far the most difficult step. And probably what makes the, the, the first step about this situation even more difficult is that there will be a lot of really well-meaning, very, very, very loving Christians. They will throw out a couple passages at you, and you will begin to think, well, man, what are, I, I, this is, I, I can't, and, and it'll be a horrible situation. And really, I want to look at a couple passages that are grossly misinterpreted, grossly misused to kind of beat us down when in fact the writer of those passages they're driving at the exact opposite so th- this is this is going to be fun all right so some of them will try to quote paul from his letter um to the, well one of the letters he wrote of uh, the bible says old things pass away and and all things are new and people will will say hey you know you're a christian and and you need to just get rid of that past that's your old self you just need to dump it but there's so much more involved we all know that sometimes getting rid of that old self those old patterns, those old ways of thinking, those, those, those um, patterns that, that have, have been almost built into stone in our lives over the past 30, 40 years, those don't just disappear. <coughs> those don't just disappear. Those take time. The Holy Spirit works on those, slowly working on those, slowly adjusting those responses that we've gotten so habitual with. 
that they, we don't even think about them. And that takes a little bit of time. It does. It takes a little bit of time. Or again, they'll, they'll bust this passage out. This is in the third chapter of the letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi. Philippians 3, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says this. But one thing I do, and again, loving, well-meaning people will, will toss this one out, and it will destroy you if you don't really understand the context of it. It says this. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we tell ourselves to forget the past, let bygones be bygones. What happened in the past can't be changed anyway, so why even spend any time on the past? But that's not actually what Paul is saying here. As we dig into the context, the passage is right before this passage. We're going to find out that he's actually saying the, the exact opposite of, of kind of where we think he's headed with this one. He's encouraging, in fact, a godly biblical way of dealing with failures from our past in order to keep us out of the prison of shame. He knows something about God, but he also knows something about human nature. And I think you would all agree with this one. The past can't really affect us because it's the past. But our present feelings about the past can and do affect our present. Whether we've dealt with our past, whether we've buried it, whether it keeps sneaking up and showing up at the worst, most inopportune times, unless we've dealt with the past, that yes, it's in the past, it can't come back, it's, it's there but again, if we haven't dealt with it, it, it plants itself on our front porch and it doesn't leave, right? It's like, you know, family that after four days, they begin to smell like fish and you just, ah, right? So, so this is what happens if we haven't dealt with it. It, it, it. it comes back and it bites and it stinks. That's all there is to it. So two things I think you need to hear from God this morning to get you sprung from your prison of shame. The first is to ask yourselves in this passage, and I'm going to go back up just a little bit, and I want you to ask yourself, is Paul trying to hide a shameful past in this passage? I'm going to jump back to uh, verse 7, then, then we'll come back up to 13 and 14. Listen to this. This is where he kind of jumps into it. He says, for whatever were gains to me, now, now automatically right now this passage has nothing to do with um, sins of his past, all right? He has not done bad things. In fact, Paul is very proud of the fact that he's a really, really, really good follower of God. He's a good Israelite. He's a good Jewish guy, right? So whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, right? There's nothing really shameful. At least we don't have that indication yet. Let me keep reading verse 8. It says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Again, he's not trying to forgive somebody. Nobody's done anything evil to him here. Let me continue, verse 8 and 9. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So it's not about me and what I can do, right? That, that is not what I'm talking about here. And here's where we get to is what he's talking about. Here's, here's where he's not burying the past. Verse 9, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then, again, the misread passage, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining what is ahead toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is, what, what is behind Paul? It isn't, strangely enough, it's not something 
that a normal person would be ashamed of. He, he didn't commit adultery. He didn't murder. Well, that's not what he's driving at. He's, he didn't do a bunch of bad stuff necessarily. Um, but really what, 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 what's behind him is, is stuff that he really is kind of ashamed of. Um, he countered his righteousness according to his goodness. Right? He looked at all the wonderful things that he had done, and he said at the end of the day, Paul, you are an amazing guy. You are, you are the most righteous person that you probably know. And then he gets to this passage and he realizes, once I knew Christ, all that self-righteousness, if I don't deal with it, that's going to become shameful. That, that's going to become a problem. That's going to become an anchor in my life. The entire passage has nothing to do with embracing our future in Christ by burying our past. In fact, he's illustrated what we should be doing with anything from our past that we're ashamed of. If we truly want healing and forgiveness and if we truly want a future, what he's doing is he's listing off, right? He's not burying it. He's listing off all of his misguided accomplishments that he's now ashamed of now that he knows Christ Jesus. Paul's showing us the way out of our prisons of shame. Here's the godly biblical way of dealing with shame. Number one, write this down if you need to. Bring them out into the light. Confess them, grieve them, but never, ever deny them. Right? Whatever it is that it is in your past, I, again, we, we, so many people, even, even our, our conscience says, bury it, don't think about it. It just makes you feel bad. But the fact of the matter is, and, until we bring it to the light and we expose it to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he can't redeem it. Right? It stays broken. It stays a broken part of our broken self. Fact of the matter is, this is what David, this is what made David such a favorite of God's. Not that he was perfect, not that he was always perfectly mature. We all know the stories. David was kind of a dude. <laughs> he was a dude, right? Nobody, nobody is perfect. But David is remembered because he never denied or he never tried to hide his past failures. Instead of running away from his Savior, David always ran back to God. And Scripture tells us he always found God, and this is the amazing part, he always found God already running toward him. Not waiting for David to offer an apology, not, not waiting for David to grovel, not waiting for David to come in through the, the front doors and, and, and on prostate, crawl, crawl forward to the throne. No, not at all. We have a picture, and I'm going to look at that right in a moment here. We have a picture of God literally running to meet and greet David, again, before an apology is even started. So we've got the first part down. Bring the past into the light for healing. And then once we accept the unchangeable past, we can embrace the God that can change our future. Again, while we might not always remember what happened, excuse me, we'll always remember what happened in our past. We don't need to make what happened our present or our future. When we finally reject the lying voice of shame, we begin to hear God's voice that redeems all things. Here's the picture I want to leave you with this morning. This is from chapter 15 of Luke. You've heard the story. It's called the prodigal son. Maybe a better name for it is the prodigal God. Because prodigal means to spend extravagantly. And the fact of the matter is God is an extravagant lover. And so we got the two boys. The young one goes off and lives, takes his father's inheritance, whatever was due him, and he went off and, and he just did shameful things. And the older son stayed. And the older son stayed, and the older son stayed angry. <laughs> 
angry that the younger son had abused the father, that he had run off, caused heartache. But then the younger son had a change of heart, and he decided that he wanted to come back. And, he, and he's running back, and he's rehearsing this whole apology, and he's working it out in his mind. And this is what we read in chapter 15, verse 20. It says this, But while he was a long way off, he's not waiting for us to enter into his courts. Is that amazing? He's on the highest ramparts. Like if you were at this church, he'd be up there on that roof and he'd be scanning up and down Keene, right, waiting for you to come back. He wouldn't be in here. He wouldn't have his arms closed. He wouldn't be his back to us. None of that. He would be up there on the rooftop looking for you. And for some of you right now, that's where he is. I want you to just picture him standing on the rooftop of our church and he's looking in your direction and he's wondering, when when are you going to come back? When are you going to trust me again? Because I love you. And I gave my son because I love you so much. Verse 20, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. God understands. He doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to hold you. Your heavenly father wants you to stop running. Maybe today is the day you stop running. Again, you don't know what you don't know until you've tried. And I know a lot of you have been running so long, you've forgotten maybe what it feels like. And, and maybe, maybe you never knew, but you're never going to find out until you stop running. Verse 21, the rest of verse 20. Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. See, when we finally understand how much, just how much God loves us and, and how he loves us, not just how much, but how he loves us, we, we, we stop running. It, it changes everything. It's like the father told the older son, and again, this is, this is some of you, you're, you're, you're kind of the older son, you, you've, you're waiting for punishment. You know you did something, and, and you, for some reason, believe that you're not going to get out of that prison of shame until you receive God's punishment. And yet we read here, he's, he's not waiting to punish you. He's, he's ready to hug you. Because love speaks louder than punishment. Some of you believe that you should be punished. Some of you believe that that this shame that you're feeling is just. It's not. It's not the plan that God has for you. Let me finish verse 31. My son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Stop running. Stop running. Just turn around and you're going to see me with arms wide open. You, you won't see me with my arms crossed. Some of you remember maybe, maybe, maybe you had dads that did that. I, I know I didn't. And I'm, I'm so sorry if you did, but that's not what your heavenly father is. That's not who he is. Jesus is telling you today that everything in the kingdom is yours. You just have to walk into it. Your prison, it doesn't have a lock on it. You, you can walk out any time. Bow your heads, Father.
for anybody listening, if whatever it was, maybe they've never shared it with anybody. Maybe they've never even shared it with their spouse. Father, you, the whole Bible, the whole Bible is you saying, I I forgive you. Walk, walk out. Walk out of that prison. You, you're forgiven. You're not condemned. The world tells you that you're condemned. I tell you that you're loved. But you have to walk out of that prison. You have to walk into the light. And it's going to be difficult, and it's going to hurt at the beginning. I, I can almost promise you that. But you're going to find freedom. You're going to find release from these things that are holding you back, that are stopping you from experiencing the abundant life that that Christ has for us. So, Father, this morning, this evening, this afternoon, wherever a person is sitting right now, that they would receive you again, would receive you maybe for the very first time, knowing that they don't know what they don't know. But, Father, you do. You do. And that's why you sent your son to die for us. You understand. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. And above all else, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for showing us how to live life how to find true joy. And Holy Spirit, thank you for for guiding us and for for reminding us of things and for, for never leaving and never forsaking us, even when we desperately don't want to hear from you. Your son's name I pray. Amen.